Women Make Waves is an NC Fit podcast. What's up, listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the Women Make Waves podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today, alongside Laura and Ariel, we are sitting down with Leslie Brocchini. Now, I might be a bit biased here, and I know I say that I love every episode, because I do, but this one is especially important and special to me. Leslie is my naturopath and has helped me correct so many different things with my gut, different ailments, and has really gotten me on a path to true healing. We talk all about that today. We talk about using food as medicines, patients being their own best advocate, eating, sleeping, hydrating, and managing stress, how trauma affects our health, and combating immediate gratification. A lot of times with medicine, and we see it all the time in fitness, we want it and we want it now. Sometimes healing takes a long time, and to find someone like Leslie to help you along that journey is so beyond important. Also, be sure to head over to the podcast app and leave the show a five-star rating and review. Not only is this great for the show, allows us to get guests, and allows us to continue to have awesome conversation, but it also absolutely warms our hearts when we see a five-star review come through or your kind words. While you're in the app, head over and download the NC Fit app. You guys, I know, I know I'm a coach on the app, and I know I say it every week, but holy smokes, this app is changing the game for functional fitness apps. You have four different workout tracks available to you every day, a movement library, workouts where you can race the coaches, beat Jason Kalipa in a workout. If you do that, please post it on social because I would love to see it. And all that in your pocket, on the go, at the gym, wherever you need it. So without further ado, enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Women Make Waves. I am so excited to be sitting down with Leslie Brocchini because selfishly, she is my guiding light in the medical world, in the natural healing world. Um, My favorite thing is that she can so easily blend the hard, hard science with where we are on this planet, what we can do in our daily lives to really increase our health and our fitness and our well-being. So Leslie, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to talk to you. So excited to be here. Um, I wanted to kick it off with what we ask all of our guests. How are you making waves? Uh, Well, you know, I think when am I not making waves? Uh, I I feel like I've been making waves since I entered this world. Uh, I was born to a mother who was 17 in a small rural town of Tuolumne, one of four people to go to four-year college, first person ever in my family to go to college. So I think from the very beginning, I'm constantly making waves. and, And I think I did it all the way until now, just turning 50 and having my own practice of trying to create a a more complete medical model. Uh, So I think all along the way I've made waves. Um, I think generally when I think of me making waves, I think I do it in a quieter, uh, more subtle way, kind of slow and gradual as opposed to, you know, really big waves. And for a long time I wanted to make really big waves. And then I realized I'm not sure that's my personality and my personality really is one foot in front of the other helping people in um, kind of more on one one on one and trying to just grow it in that way. So slow and steady. I'm a Taurus, slow and steady. 
So my waves, I think, are sometimes a little more subtle, but they're definitely there. You might also be the first woman we've had on the show who has just been like, I am making waves, which is just <laughs> awesome. Most, most women are like, I'm not, you know, I guess I'm making waves. So that's just really cool, cool to see. I think, you know, I think turning 50, uh, you, you start to realize and look back at a lot of the things you've done and then and you're like, hey, you know, I don't, I maybe didn't know it at the time. I, I think if you would have asked me that 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have thought I was making waves, but you start to reach a level where you're like, oh, actually, I think I have made waves and I think I do it every day. It's just a little more subtle. I'm over here like, Taurus team, what <laughs> up? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so can you give listeners a little bit of background on what you do now and kind of what got you to that place in your career? Sure, yeah. Um, so I uh, did my medical training at Stanford. Um, I graduated in 1999. So I was just thinking the other day, I think I'm at, you know, almost 22 years of practicing. I did traditional internal medicine, I'm board certified in internal medicine. I did that for 13 years. And I moved through a couple different medical models trying to find something that spoke to me. And none of them did. And actually, there was a time in 2012 where I kind of crashed because I was like, Oh, my God, I've done all this training. And I, I don't think I can do this anymore. And so seriously thought I was going to walk away from medicine because I felt like I had tried all the possible options, working in the hospital, doing ICU work, having my own practice, being an employee at the VA and not having to, to run a practice and none of it spoke to me. And I felt like none of it, none of those models gave me a way to actually heal. And I was driven to be a healer, not a pill pusher, not a prescription writer. And so every day I went home, I felt like a failure as a doctor because I, I, I'm one of those people that think about patients like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh, that person should be doing this. But I was in a model that the next day I had to just keep rolling with new people and seeing them every, you know, I had seven minutes to see them and 10 minutes to do a note and to write orders. And then I had to move to the next. So I, I thought I got to find a different way. And I actually wasn't sure what I was going to do because I went to Stanford, um, where it's, it's pretty traditional. And so uh, I didn't really realize there were lots of other paths I could take. And to be honest, there really aren't a lot of paths, but I felt like I needed to create it. So um, I, I just stayed at home, cooked for a year, which we've talked about before. And I just cooked and I, I knew that food should be medicine. And I was using food for that year as my medicine to try to figure out what I was going to do with my life and how I was going to continue healing because I didn't think I was going to stay in medicine. And then I realized um, that actually there, through a lot of research, there are a lot of other ways. So then I um, applied and got into and went to the University of Arizona for a two-year fellowship under Andy Weil under integrative medicine. And that changed me because it is a program that actually heals the healer. Um, and there was a lot, I was broken um, going through training uh, you know, there's some serious PTSD, I think, that happens in training. And then being 13 years in practicing medicine that I felt like was not good medicine. Um, so Heal the Healer, they focus a lot on that. But I went through the two years and graduated from that. And I was like, I can totally do this. This speaks to me. 
I don't think there's any model that is gonna pay me to do that on my own. So I'm gonna hang my shingle and do it myself and do it for as long as I can and see how it goes. And that was in 2014. Um, and now, you know, it's insane. You know, my next new patient appointments in, in 2022. So it, it's busy, it speaks to people, people want it. Um, it's not traditionally practiced, it's a little rough. Um, being in this county where most of the medicine is traditional. And I, I think traditional medicine has its place, but I think that there's a lot we can do before you land in the OR or the ER. So that's what I do now. Um, I have my own practice, CE, um, soul strength medicine. And, you know, I developed that because I think that there was no soul in the medicine that I was practicing and I wanted strength in my soul and I wanted to create strength in my patient's souls. And I firmly believe that they will be better and they will be um, healthier, irregardless of I'm the totally, diagnosis. I am totally geeking out right now because you are speaking to my soul. And I think it's, I don't want to skip over, you know, you went from, you had essentially like an identity crisis, you know, like you went from practicing in a way that you thought was going to help people realizing that it wasn't helping in the way that you wanted it to. And then you made this pivot into finding something that was and felt more aligned. And I'm just curious to know how you navigated that space of, well, I'm, I can't keep doing what I'm doing because it's not working and it's not actually helping in the way I want it to. How did you navigate that space? Slowly and carefully. Uh, I think that it's tricky. It's really tricky being a, a professional who's held to certain standards. You don't talk about that stuff with patients. You don't do that stuff because otherwise then you're like the quack doctor or you're the person that's not practicing real medicine. And I had, I, I go through that all the time. Um, so I think what, you know, my response to that is I just have to be extra, extra, um, careful and pay way more attention to the science and have that in my back pocket to throw out at any moment when, when I get those comments or when I get that pushback. So it does mean that I have to do honestly more work. Like when I'm going, you know, trying to get malpractice or dealing with medical board issues or whatever, dealing with other colleagues, like you have to actually, you know, have a little bit more of the science than, than someone who's doing the traditional um, practice because you just do. Um, but I think that, you know, I feel like I'm hopeful. I don't know if it'll happen in my career because I, I don't know how much longer I'll practice, but I, I'm hopeful that patients will eventually demand this kind of care. And I think with, you know, social media and the internet and all that stuff, I think people are more savvy and they are kind of demanding it. But I think it, it you know, everything takes time in medicine. I mean, it just takes years and years and years and years. But I do think it's, I think, you know, maybe in your generation, maybe in 20 years, this will be where medicine starts and people aren't starting, you know, in the ER or the OR. I'm so it is, I have, you have don't to leave. <laughs> <laughs> No, I got, I got, I got time, but you know, I, I probably don't have 20 years. When you were making that shift and you talk about the year spent in the kitchen and healing yourself from the inside out with food, were there any like big things that stuck out like, oh my gosh, I wish everyone knew this, or this could be such an easy thing to implement. And I wish more people had the resource to know that this is something that they have at their disposal. 
you know, I think, I think what the, oh my God was, I can heal a lot of things with food. And I really, I mean, I've always been a really healthy person and a healthy eater. Uh, you know, when I was a child, my mom was doing herbs and going to the health food store and spending all the money she had. She didn't have a lot uh, to get the good bread and the whole grains and all that went, all that stuff. So, you know, I think I had some idea, but I don't think I had, um, I don't think I had the idea that I could do so much with food. Uh, and then I also, you know, of course took that and then went and looked at the science and, you know, the polyphenols and all the biochemistry and tried to, and I was like, uh, why are, why didn't we learn any of that anywhere? I mean, I think we had a week of nutrition in medical school. So, you know, I think that was kind of my biggest aha is that this is really a travesty that this is not part of medicine. It should be, should be the beginning. It's such a powerful thing coming from you being part of the medical field that food is so important because I do feel like there is a disconnect between the way that we view how we eat and what we're eating and the effect that that has on our body. And for me, this is such a deep passion of mine. And I just see for even myself, how much food has changed my life, right? Like from my terrible relationship with food to now having this um, awareness around how food affects you and how food affects every part of your body. Um, it's just such an insane shift that I wish more people would have. And I'm curious to know for you why you started to use food as medicine, because I, I do see that, you know, like in the traditional medical system, it's not necessarily the case. So how did you start that process? And then do you have any you know, tips or recommendations for anybody that's looking to start using food as a nourishing tool instead of um, the alternative. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that my kind of realization, and I think it was a little more, it was a little hidden and more subconscious. Um, so I, when I had uh, thyroid cancer at 29, um, I think I start, it kind of stopped me in my tracks and made me realize that how much of the stress, I was um, actually a senior resident at the time. So of course I'd been through three years of, of hell essentially. Um, how did th that stress and how did that, all the poor nutrition that I did for those three years, um, you know, affect me getting cancer in my twenties. It's not something that ran in my family. So I started looking mostly kind of for selfish reasons around what, what is happening in my environment that actually could have played a role in this. So I think I started thinking about that. I, I was so busy uh, that I didn't really kind of dive into it. So I think once I, um, you know, decided I can't do this way of practicing medicine anymore, I don't know what I'm going to do and threw my hands up. I'm not um, the type of person that can just kind of sit around. So, you know, my bachelor's degrees in biochemistry. So I just started kind of thinking, all right, well, let me see, what am I going to do here? I'm going I'm to start looking into how I can make myself healthier. And, you know, food was right in front of me because I literally was home for a year. So um, I was trying to feed my family. And actually about that time, my daughter um, at 10 started to show signs of gluten intolerance. So then I started down that pathway 
and started changing some of the things for her and for me at the time. So there was kind of a healing that both of us needed and it just kind of evolved. And I, I think you I think I find that a lot with patients um, that, you know, something triggers it. Um, something kind of makes you do a pivot. And I don't think we always have control over that. I think that there's greater powers that have control over that, but I think there's always something that lands right in your lap. So, you know, I don't, I think that fortunately for myself, I was at home and so I could actually listen to that and pay attention to that and start, you know, shifting in the way that felt right to me, which I think I've just done naturally. Um, I don't, I don't think everyone does that. I think you do have to have a sense of quiet and a sense of kind of everything falling apart. And then you kind of open your eyes and start looking around. I think that's just the nature of kind of crisis, crises and pivoting. Um, but I, you know, I have a, I have patients all the time I, and you'll love this story. I had a patient yesterday who was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis um, in November called me couldn't get in until yesterday and came in yesterday and she didn't really know what to do, but they were going to put her on all kinds of autoimmune medications. And she was like, I don't want to start there. I think uh, I've done the whole 30 before. So I'll just do the whole 30 until I see Dr. Brocchini. So she's been doing that for essentially six months and she got, you know, her said rate, which was like 60, I think, or 45 or 60. She got it down to 20, which is, amazing just by doing that and she actually told her rheumatologist can we just check labs every two months until i can get in to see this other doctor because i think if i just change what i'm eating i think it'll be better and i don't want to take those medications and he said i strongly disagree with you i don't think you understand the disease process but okay if you want to do that and risk destroying your joints fine and kind of dismissed her so she's been getting the labs fortunately he agreed to order the labs and she dropped her sed rate like 25 points, which is pretty amazing. And she went back and said, she saw, she's all, I was so excited. And I said, see, look at, I, I just changed what I was eating. And he said, yeah, I, I think it's just the disease, um, you know, eb ebbing and flowing or something totally discounted it. So yesterday I was like, Oh my God, you totally did that. And she's like, Oh my God, you're so excited. I'm all, that is amazing. And she's like, that's what I'm waiting to hear. And she just totally started crying because she's been working so hard and she made huge changes just by changing what she's eating. She doesn't need um, those medications. So, you know, I think it, I think unfortunately patients still get a lot of pushback, but I think patients are getting more bold. So I just always encourage people to be more bold and just say what you're doing, say what you're taking, say what you're doing, say you're seeing me. Some patients still won't tell their regular uh, doctors, but you know, I think the more, like anything, right, the more we talk about it, the more it comes out of the closet. You are sitting with three girls that have <laughs> totally like, changed the way that we eat because our guts were like, hi, excuse me. No, you can't yeah. do that. Um, and I remember, you know, Arielle and I laugh about this all the time because we had very, very similar um, responses in our body to the food that we were eating, but for very different reasons. And Arielle's doctors just kept testing if she was anemic and she wasn't, right? It was a mold toxicity, Arielle? Yeah. And meanwhile, I was like asking doctors to test if I was anemic and they wouldn't. 
And so it was just this crazy thing. And then first thing I did was go to you and you were like, oh, uh, Lindsay, (laughs) we need to work (laughs) on those iron levels. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But it's just so crazy to exactly what you were saying. It feels as though in the traditional medical model that patients have to be their biggest advocate and we get so, so easily dismissed. which is really hard because we're also conditioned that these are the experts, right? They're the healers and the people that are supposed to be making me better. And so in a system where someone can be really easily dismissed, and even though they're making these incredible lifestyle changes and their rheumatoid arthritis is you know, getting better, how would you, if you were a patient in this system, start to be your biggest advocate when the system's kind of telling you not to be? Well, I mean, I think we're blessed with the, so blessed and cursed, I think, by the internet. But I think there are, if we're going to focus on the positives of that, I think you go in with, you know, something in your back pocket, kind of like I have to do if I'm talking to colleagues, I have to have, you know, a couple studies in my back pocket. Otherwise, you know, what am I talking, what am I doing? That's not real medicine. Like you always have to go in prepared. So, um, you know, I think, I think that it's really important not to just show up at an appointment and expect someone else to do the work for you. I think that's the case in almost everything in life, right? So I think that, I think you have to go in with some knowledge um, and maybe you don't have all the knowledge. And even if you get dismissed, I think that I would, I would say that it's, I would still have some um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but you know, I think you should still be proud of yourself that you actually said it and you put it out there because I think that's just part of the change where it's kind of the beginning of the change. So you're not going to roll in there and you're not going to completely change someone's mind that is traditionally trained and has been practicing traditional medicine for years and years. You're, you're just not. But I think that many doctors will actually, if you go in with some information and you say, look, I just want to try to heal myself as um, completely as possible. I think you just, you throw that out there. Um, and it, it, the more they hear that from people, even if it's just a little snippet, uh, it, it makes an impact, you know, small waves, little by little. So I love that you said that. One of the biggest things that I talk to clients about is taking personal responsibility for your healing and your health, because it could be the best pro- protocol, it could be the worst protocol, but neither is going to make a difference if you're not owning the choices and taking responsibility for understanding the information. And that I think can be the sticking point for a lot of people because it can. there's so much information, right? It's a blessing and the curse of the internet. There's so many different sources of information that we can find and that I think can get a little bit, we, we lose it. It gets a little bit lost in the, in the water. So how would you recommend patients or clients start to take that responsibility? Like where do they start to educate themselves? Well, I mean, I think there's so many resources. Um, I think it is helpful to have someone that, that guides you. I mean, I think that um, it is, there's so much information but I would say not necessarily um, which resources, because there are a ton of them. I would find one that kind of speaks to you and just stick with that. Um, 
there are blogs, you know, I, I would read as much as you can about whatever problem you have and then figure out which one speaks to you. Again, you have to listen to you, your gut, your soul. We can't just live this life without paying attention to that stuff. So I think that um, that's really important. The other thing I would say is that I don't think you should really go down any sort of path of, you know, expensive testing, seeing, you know, uh, spending a lot of money on online stuff if you don't have the basics met. So I, when I meet people, I ask about how are you sleeping? What are you drinking? What are you eating? Like if you're not eating, sleeping, drinking, managing your stress, you're not going to be well no matter how many molds you test for. Like you, like a lot of times people say, oh, I, you know, I have Lyme and they go down, they go spend thousands of dollars to, to see Lyme doctors to get these tests done. But their basic kind of care is still not there. So I tell people, we can go down those pathways and I will help you go down those pathways, but not until we start with what are you, how are you sleeping? What are you doing to feed yourself? Like, how are you managing your stress? Because we are an organism and we can be resilient to a lot of things if we're providing ourselves basic needs. So I think in this day and age and with the internet, a lot of people just like they see all this really um, exciting and expensive and food testing and all this stuff. And they want to do that, uh, but they haven't dealt with the basic needs. So we have to start from the root cause. We have to start from ground zero and then we build up. And then if you're not getting better, then we figure out mold, then we figure out Lyme, then we figure out, you know, all these other things. But I generally start with those basic needs and I usually do kind of a sweep on what your nutrition look like, what do your hormones look like, and what does your kind of stress response system look like? And so with that, I would say 90% of the time, people can get better. So the sleeping, the eating, and the stress management, people can do that on their own. People know what to do. They just have to do it. So, you know, if you're drinking caffeine and you're not sleeping, wean out the caffeine. Uh, you know, I have, I hear every day, well, I don't sleep, I'm anxious. Oh, but I just have one cup of coffee in the morning. It's a stimulant. So pull those things out, pull the sugar out, see what happens. A lot of times our bodies know what to do. We have a homeostasis that we can get back to, but we have a lot of interference that we do to ourselves in our own life that's really cheap and easy. I'm really curious to know um, how you incorporate in your practice and just what your opinion on um, is on you know the relationship with our emotional well-being and, and mental wellness to you know um for example like gut health or just you know physical you know anxiety and and other physical you know ways that shows up physically in the body and and how you incorporate that because sometimes you know that's and you can correct me if i'm wrong but it would seem to be one of the hardest things to fix for people um so just curious how you how you handle that uh, so I do um, ACE screening in my intake forms, and then on my intake form, I ask about kind of mind-body practice, what childhood was like, past traumas, um, current traumas, how supportive home life is for them. So I know all that stuff go before right when I'm meeting someone. So, uh, you know, obviously with the name of my business with that, I, I think it's critical, and I think it's probably one of the most important things along with the sleep and, and um, eating. So I think it's critical. I think that is the thing that actually is really ignored in traditional medicine because, um, you know, 
if someone comes in and they have hypertension and you give them medication to bring their hypertension down, but really they are, have PTSD and they have past trauma that's unresolved and they're constantly getting triggered, gee, maybe that's actually the part of their hypertension that we need to deal with. And so I, I, it's a huge part of when I see people. So I kind of assess right out of the gate how big of a problem they might have to start because I, we can't go anywhere. You know, if someone's, I think I've said before, if someone's diabetic and they're eating at night because they're triggered when it gets dark, I'm not going to, you know, if I, I can beat my head against the wall to try to control their diabetes, but it's not going to work if I don't deal with the, what's happening to them emotionally and spiritually. So I, I have a lot of tools that I give people. I usually try to give patients something every time they come so that they have a toolbox. I always tell patients, we need to just create a toolbox for you so you can pull it out whenever these kind of triggering things happen. And then I usually, most of them, I will try to connect with a therapist or EMDR or process coach or something, Tai Chi, yoga, whatever it seems like they're open for. For some patients, they're not really comfortable talking about that. And a lot of people are floored when I ask all those questions. And a lot of people just by asking the questions, like they've filled it out the night before, uh, they sit in my chair across from me. I can't tell you how many people just start crying the first sentence I say, because all of a sudden someone's asked them that. And someone who's a medical doctor has asked them that and the floodgates open. So then I know we have work to do there first before we can really do anything else. Can you, for listeners, because you, you said ACE study, which is, you know, one of my favorite things to talk about, because I know when I first learned about it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the missing information that we've all been looking for and we've all needed. Um, and obviously I geek out on it, but for listeners that are not familiar with the ACE study and your ACE score and how that affects your long-term health, can you kind of explain that? Yeah. So, you know, it's looking at adverse childhood events. Um, that's the ACE. And so essentially it's, it's a series of questions that ask, um, you know, did anyone hit you when you were a child? Um, did other people fight? Was there alcohol involved? So it gives me a sense of what um, their childhood was like. And we, we know with um, studies that people that have adverse childhood events are at higher risk of diseases when they're adults. So diabetes, hypertension, cancer, all those things actually we're starting to show now that people that have had unresolved trauma essentially have more health problems when they're older. So I'm an internist, so I only see 18 and over. Um, so for years, I didn't really, when I was trained, I whatever happened from 18 and over is what I dealt with. Now I know that you actually have to go back and ask kind of what happened as a child because it does affect disease processes as an adult. So it's just part of my kind of collection of who this person is that's walking and that's asking me for help. Um, the other thing I talk about kind of off of that is just their environment when they were a child. So, you know, what their water source was, what was stress level like when mom was pregnant. Um, there's some studies coming out to suggest that if mom was under incredible stress, that the uh, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis of the, the baby is off and that they might be more prone to stress and anxiety and those sorts of things. So if I get a sense of the pregnancy of mom, that can be really helpful too. So curious to know, um, you know, from the questions you ask about your environment growing up, do you believe, or is there any studies to prove that, you know, if that does link to disease later in life, are there ways to, is it 
ways to learn coping skills to mitigate that? Um, or, you know, is that kind of something that's inevitable that you have to deal with or, you know, just curious to know how that works? Yeah, there's a lot of um, data and research and uh, information coming out about epigenetics, which is essentially, um, you know, we're, we're born obviously with genes, but not all of them have to be expressed. So our lifestyle kind of dictates um, which genes are expressed. So we do have ultimate control over that, but there are some things that we kind of ride into this world with and that we might be more prone to. Again, I think that will be part of pretty awesome medicine somewhere down the line where we know what people's, um, you know, SNPs and genetics are when they come in. They're doing that a little bit in traditional medicine, like with statin medications, some people um, don't process them as well. And so in blood thinners, we're starting to use it a little bit there. It will be such a dream when we can use that for kind of neurotransmitter assessment and nutritional assessment and help guide people on what they should eat. Cause not everyone should be eating the same thing. Um, so, you know, I, I think that we are born with a certain level of genes, but and those genes change right through generations. So again, we also know that, you know, mom's genes might've changed if she was pregnant and was, you know, had a lot of stress or trauma, like those genes might've changed by the time, you know, now baby. And so that just, that stuff gets passed on unless we kind of break that cycle. So I think in, for a long time, we've done that with kind of emotional training and trauma and treatment, but not really genetic. Um, but we know now that genes actually can change and they can be modified based on our lifestyle. That was like such an incredible thing for me to hear. I know when you told me the first time, because I was like, well, I have a relatively high ACE score. Heart disease runs in my family. I feel like I was just like given this platter of like, here's all of the ailments you will have forever. And so knowing that there's so much empowerment in the lifestyle choices that I make, what I eat, what I drink, how I sleep, how I hydrate, these different things that can essentially like turn off and on these gene markers, which was so, so powerful to hear. Um, one thing we keep talking about is stress. And I know a lot of us think of stress as, you know, something happening from work or a relationship or this kind of environmental stress. But to an extent, stress is healthy for the body, right? When we exercise or, you know, cortisol isn't always a bad thing. Um, can you kind of distinguish what is, I guess, a healthy stress and good for the body and what is, you know, something to be aware of and mitigate? Yeah. I mean, I think I, um, I would say probably in my practice, the way I deal with that the most is, is essentially I get an assessment of someone's adrenal function when they're coming in. So, you know, I do a salivary adrenal test and get a sense of what their stress response is. And if they're, if that's a normal and it looks good, then I'm okay with caffeine. I'm okay with CrossFit, high intensity stuff, do it. Cause that's all super beneficial if someone comes in and their adrenals are completely dysfunctional or they have adrenal fatigue or, um, you know, it looks like their stress response system is not healthy, then I usually recommend um, more like yoga, tai chi, walking until we can get their adrenals in a better state. So I think it's important to, um, once again, kind of know what you're 
your body is doing and how it's functioning, and then you can decide how to push it. So I do agree that stress is, cortisol is great. It's super anti-inflammatory. Um, it works really well in our um, controlling our sex hormones and our mineral corticoids, which is our um, salt and our glucose metabolism. But if that system's broken, broken and we are pounding it, I tell people it's like flogging a dead horse. It's just not going to work. So we have to build things up and then we can for sure go for it. What are some of the symptoms that maybe some, you know, a lot of our listeners or athletes may experience for adrenal fatigue and then how, what are some ways that they can kind of mitigate that and, um, you know, maybe find a healthier, healthier relationship with exercise and, and nutrition? So adrenal fatigue, um, a lot of the symptoms uh, are kind of um, flat, uh, for lack of a better word. So you're fatigued, so your recovery is maybe lasting a little bit longer than it should. Um, you know, uh, mood stuff, depression, more kind of a flattened, um, depressed mood. Sleep is not great. Um, muscles just ache even if you don't work out. Um, low blood pressure, so you stand up and you feel like your blood pressure is dropping. Um, those are all signs of adrenal fatigue and, and adrenals not functioning. The other thing that can happen is sometimes you can get what we call a reverse adrenal curve, which means that you're kind of flat during the day and then like at 10 o'clock at night, you are just good to go. Like, and then you get this rush of, of energy at night. So that is not healthy. That's not appropriate. You shouldn't, I mean, people say, oh, well, I'm just a night owl but that's not how we're biologically designed. We're biologically designed to rise with the sun and to, to set with the sun. So if you're getting a ton of energy at night, you might have a reverse curve. So when you have those kind of symptoms, I think it's really important not to ignore those and not to do you know, more energy drinks, more uh, aminos, and just push through because again, eventually you're gonna reach a point where those things are not gonna work anymore and you are going to be set way back. I mean, I have patients that it takes six to 12 months to try to recover their adrenals because they've pushed them so hard. So if you're relying on caffeine for energy or other energy drinks, that's kind of an early sign too. Um, if you use it and it gives you a little boost, but you sleep great and you don't have anxiety, again, like I said, I'm totally good with that. But if you're needing that, so then, then that means you're relying on something outside of you to give you energy, then probably there's something wrong with your adrenals. So generally the way to heal that is obviously all of those basic things. So whole foods, get rid of the caffeine, get rid of the alcohol, good sleep habits, um, calming more restorative exercises like yoga, tai chi. Um, and, and then it just, you know, sometimes people, a good B complex, good vitamin C intake and magnesium, those are really good. Sometimes um, herbs are helpful ashwagandha, relora, magnolia bark, those are all really good things to help kind of support the adrenals. But I, I would say that I've probably had the biggest turnaround with people in my practice with adrenal support and neurotransmitters changing those. Um, people, it's just amazing. Like people will start and the girls will always comment, oh my God, you remember when that person came in where they were just, you know, kind of irritable, grouchy, flat, just moving their way through life. And now they, you know, bounce in and bounce out and, and they're good to go. So that makes a huge difference. And if you take the time to do that, your workouts and your ability to build, um, it just, it just goes so much faster and you, it'll be more prolonged. I think that's so 
It's such a good point because I just think back on my own health and healing journey and I was 100% experiencing adrenal fatigue. And it was one of those things where I felt like I was doing everything right. Like I was doing high intensity activity. I was eating whole foods, but the level of stress that I put on myself from, um, orthorexic tendencies, right? Like looking and being really afraid of eating things that weren't considered health foods and, um, an over emphasis on high intensity activity. And there are, there's this way for us, I think, to take it to extremes. And what you're saying is so much about how there's so much beauty and um, healing in the middle. There, it doesn't have to be an extreme on one end or the other. And I think that that's something that, you know, we can all take away is we don't have to go to the extremes. We don't have to always be doing high intensity. We don't have to always be getting nine plus hours of sleep. Maybe there's something in the middle there. And I think we get kind of stuck. At least I've seen this with clients as well. Like we get stuck in, well, I can't do it that way. So I'm not going to do it. Or it's too much for me to start making all of these changes. So I'm just not going to start. Um, do you have a way or do you, do you have something that has worked in terms of advice or just a way that you approach clients that say it's too much for me to take on all of these things? I do. And I actually hear that. So when people have adrenal fatigue or when they're really not well, um, it's, it's, I, the first thing I do is acknowledge that I understand that it's overwhelming to try to do all these changes in your life when you feel like shit because they do and they are already overwhelmed. And so I can't throw a bunch of other stuff on top of them. So I usually kind of then start just asking them like what, like what part of all of these things we need to do speaks to you and what part does it feel like maybe you can do a little bit. So once I identify, okay, um, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I can do something with food. Maybe I can, you know, get rid of my soda once a day. Like, so I, I have to do a lot of talking with them, which is why I am, can take the time and figure out where it is that I can meet them in the middle. And I think you're right. There's it, life is better. I think if you live in the middle, I think life is better if it's an 80, 20, I, I think if you're constantly pushing to always do the extreme, then I think we have to look at why you're doing that, right? So there's something that's driving that that's probably not that healthy. And eventually you do break. Um, you know, I, I was that. I was constantly driving, driving. I have to do this. I mean, you pushed my way from Somerville Elementary all the way to Stanford Medical School because I was pushing myself. And when I got sick, I was actually going to do cardiology, which thank God I did not do that because my lifestyle would have been crazy, right? People have heart attacks at all times of the night. So I wouldn't have been able to, to fix my own self if I was in that role. So I think it's, you know, I think you, I have as a, I feel like my responsibility is to know the science, know what they need, but also assess where they are and what it is that they're capable of doing before we come up with our plan, because otherwise it's not going to work. They'll leave and it's like throwing a bunch of prescriptions on someone, right? They'll leave and they'll have a bunch of prescriptions. They may or may not take them. Compliance is going to suck. Same thing's going to happen, even though it's natural and, and better for them. It's still have to be mindful of dumping a bunch of stuff on someone who doesn't feel well. 
So it's slow and steady wins the race um, all the time, I think. So uh, that's what I do. So if people are feeling overwhelmed, I, I mostly validate that, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So what bothers you the most? Is it the brain fog? Okay, let's just focus on that for right now. I understand where people are coming from. So I don't want to harp on this by any means. Um, especially when you feel sick, when you feel crappy and you're like, fix me, please. Like, tell me what to do. Tell me what to take. I'll do it. Fix me. Um, but what we've kind of talked about throughout this entire conversation is that nothing about this is an immediate gratification kind of thing. It's a long process. So how do you keep people inspired and encouraged to do the monotonous day in and day out work that it takes to really heal yourself as opposed to kind of the messaging we've gotten our entire life from every television commercial, like take this and you'll feel better. Have you experienced this? You'll feel better. And then you hear the guy at the end, like rattling off all of the potential side effects. But um, how do you start to kind of rewire the thinking around health? So I think that's where I use my experience in knowing uh, what things kind of turn around quickly and what things take a really long time. So uh, depending on what's happening with that patient. So if there's, you know, for example, if their thyroid is suboptimal, um, if they're, you know, not sleeping, I can give. So I usually the things that turn around quickly, vitamin D deficiency, people feel so much better almost within 48 hours. If I get their vitamin D level um, better, it's pretty amazing actually. And so I do those quick things for them uh, because I know they're quick and I know they'll get better. So it kind of, they start to feel a little bit better. And then we start on kind of the adrenal repair and the gut repair. And, and I, you know, so I give them a little bit of kind of, oh, that actually makes me feel a little bit better. So it kind of draws them in and then they feel like they can actually focus on those other things. But I do tell people right out of the gate, depending on the patient, I have a little bit of a biased population in that obviously if people are going to come to see me, generally they're pretty driven. So it's not like I'm trying to do this in at the VA, for example, which would be much harder. I do have some colleagues that are trying to do that. And I think it's it's harder because they're, you know, there's no time and they just are not, the patients are not as motivated. Um, so most of the patients that come to me, generally something has cracked and broken pretty good. And so they are motivated. So I use, you know, I, I fix the things that are quick and that helps them stay invested. And I also have, I have a couple of patients who have really done the work and are super open to talking to patients that are not sure they can get it done. So I think there's power in numbers, there's power in community. So I think that's really important as well. Um, and, you know, I have a patient right now who literally has been working on her gut for 18 months. We had done several microbiome tests and she just had leaky gut, leaky gut, leaky gut, wasn't get better, leaky gut. And so she finally had to, you know, little by little, she was doing things and then she got, you know, really serious and tired of it. And for the last six months has been, has been doing all the work and it's completely gone. So to have that meeting with her, I mean, she was ecstatic. And so she's, she's like, I, that was so hard and it took a while and I had to stick with it and I got very little return day to day, but now it's gone and I feel so much better. And she's, and so that, those are people that I say, you know, 
So any chance, if I had a patient that was really struggling, you would talk to them. And most of the time they're super excited to talk to them. So, you know, it's like anything. If you have someone who's done it, someone who's been through it, it makes it a little easier. If people listening to this conversation are ready to feel better, I know I always joke with you every time I leave your office, I'm like, I'm going to run through walls after this. Like, I'm so excited. Um, If, I mean, obviously like you see clients where you are, but if people just wanted to start searching more of a natural path to go down when it comes to medicine, is there a resource where people can start finding practitioners like yourself? Yes. So you can go to um, ifm.org. So the Institute of Functional Medicine.org, or you can go to the University of Arizona Integrative Medicine, um, and they have both have find a practitioner near you um, on their website. And if people wanted to work with you or get connected with you and stay up to date with everything that you're doing, how could they connect? So my website, soulstrengthmedicine.com, is a place where you can go and kind of read about the things we're doing. Um, that's probably the easiest way. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Love it. Well, Leslie, thank you so much. I know I don't just speak for myself when we say how much of an incredible (laughs) conversation this was. I'm so, so excited for our listeners to hear it. And thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you guys.